Burnett. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that's a lot to live up to, all that he said. It's awfully nice, extremely generous. Um, but it is such an honor to be here. Thank you so much. This event is gorgeous. You guys all did a phenomenal job with all the tables. And men, thank you so much. We feel so spoiled by the way you've taken care of us. Thank you. Thank you. And it's so exciting to be in Pastor Aaron's church. We got started in the ministry about the same time at the Dream Center. And it's so exciting to see that all God's done in his life and to see what he's doing now. It's very exciting. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you, Amanda. And Amanda's helped me with so many women's events back in L.A. And, oh, my gosh, you have so much to look forward to. She's amazing that way. And um, You've got to have a candy-themed party at some point. We had one one time in L.A. What she pulled off is remarkable and you've got to see it so um amanda is so talented in so many ways and such an honor to be here thank you for inviting me um and yes so thank you thank you um i always like to hear a little bit of a backstory behind someone before they speak do you we're all girls we're kind of nosy that way (laughs) Uh, so i just want to share a little bit of my story before i get into my message of how i got started in the ministry um so i was born in sweden my family immigrated when i was very young We came to America, my parents had the American dream, but it was a lot harder than, or not exactly what they expected. Sweden's very different from America. And so we always struggled, and we always grew up in uh, inner cities. I was typically the only white girl in my school, and so it was very easy for my mom to spot me because I was the only blonde little girl (laughs) running on the campus. And um, so we grew up, and my parents were amazing Christians, and I always admired them, and I always looked to them um, to see what a godly life was. I saw something different in them that I didn't see in a lot of the families in our church, and they had a real relationship with God. And so um, I grew up in that. And then in high school, I, you know, I was going to church, but junior and senior year of high school, I started a party. And I was out drinking and dancing, and I thought that was so fun. And every, every Sunday I was still at church, and I was bawling out my eyes. I'm, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I promise I'm never going to go out again. And then sure enough, Friday came along, and the parties were better than the week before, and I was back out there. Well, it was at the end of my senior year of high school that it all started getting old. And I was looking around. I said, okay, God, I know there's more for my life than this. And it was about spring break time, and I went and confessed to my dad. I told my dad everything I've been doing. They were very Swedish and very naive. (laughs) So I went and confessed to all the parties I'd been going to and all the things that I'd been doing. And I said, could you please ground me during spring break? Because I really don't think I have the courage to say no to my friends. (laughs) And they're like, yes, you are grounded for spring break plus the rest of the year. Um, So, but I got radically on fire for God at that time. I started reading the words of Jesus, and I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. This is what I want to do with my life. And I'm not a bold person. I wouldn't go stand on a street corner by myself and start preaching the gospel. But I was reading, and I was getting so on fire. And about that time, I came across the Dream Center. And I said, yes, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And so um, it's funny. I started attending the church. And I am still 17 with braces, okay? (laughs) I start attending the church, and about two weeks into it, um, Pastor Matthew, the pastor of the church, runs up to me. He invites me on a date. Two weeks into like coming to the church, I'm like, oh, well, okay, yeah. And so um, the Dream Center is huge. There's a sixth-floor parking lot, and then there's a first-floor parking lot. And I didn't know my way around very well, so I was waiting on the sixth-floor parking lot, and he was waiting on the first-floor parking lot. And we both thought the other one didn't show up. And we never said anything about it to each other for two and a half years. You know what? I was at one of those super spiritual 
highs in my life. And so I was like, oh, that was probably God protecting me because it wasn't meant to be. And I know God's called me here for life. It would have been weird if I dated the pastor and it didn't work out. But let's just call it what it was. It's pride. <laughs> we're pride and stubborn. We have a lot of pride and we're very stubborn. So um, that's a good mix in marriage. But anyway, so it was two and a half years later. Um, but as I started serving, I was working in the ministry. I always said, you know, God, or uh, to the leaders, put me wherever you want. I'm just here to serve. And so I did all kinds of ministries. I, I worked in every office at the Dream Center, and I um, helped start a lot of programs, like Aaron said. Um, but I really enjoyed that time. And so it was two and a half years later that I noticed that Matthew's calling me in for a lot of unnecessary meetings. I thought, and if I, now looking back, if I could go back and know the power I had, I would have asked for 10 more trucks. <laughs> but um, so he starts calling me in for a lot of meetings. And um, sure enough, he asked me on our first date. And this is how we both knew we were in love. We had been dating about a month, and my husband's very ADD. And so every, every date was a huge surprise, and we did about 10 different things. And so it's Sunday after church. He picks me up, and I was always inappropriately dressed because it was a surprise. So anyways, uh, we go horseback riding in L.A., which is very rare and hard to find. But we go horseback riding in L.A., and then after that, he attempts to take me to a Swedish smorgasbord, but it ends up being Armenian food. <laughs> but that's L.A. for you, so uh, very sweet in thought, but... So we go to the Armenian restaurant, and then we go roller skating. This is all one date, okay? So we're roller skating, and we're going around, and we're going around, and then we decide, okay, this is about it. We're going to leave, and so we go, oh, one more last lap, and then we'll leave. Well, during this last lap, some 13-year-old boys come and wipe me out, and I get a concussion. And so I pass out. Now, I don't remember anything from this point until waking up in the hospital, but... Uh, so they clear off the floor, and they get me to stand up and walk around. And I guess I'm talking. I don't remember any of this. And Matthew's walking me out to the car, and I collapse. So then they call the paramedics. The paramedics come. And Matthew is on the ground with my head on his lap. And the paramedics come, and they start asking me questions, trying to keep me conscious. So easy questions. What's your name? How old are you? Well, then they say, who's this man? And I say, the man of my dreams. <laughs> So out of the mouth of the unconscious, the heart speaks. So um, that's how Matthew says he knew that um, I loved him. Well, at this time, you know, when I was a volunteer at the Dream Center, I lived on about $80 a month, which I'm sure my husband wishes I could go back to. But um, I lived on $80 a month, and I'd raise my support by doing odd jobs on the side. So at this time, I'm taking pictures at the Easter Bunny booth. I'm actually running an Easter Bunny booth in the mall. And uh, that night when I got my concussion, my bunny quits. I have no bunny to work on Monday. And I'm supposed to be in bed all day. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And so Matthew Barnett, the senior pastor of the Dream Center, goes, uh, dresses up in the bunny suit and takes pictures for six hours in the mall. And that's when I knew he loved me too. Uh, so it was uh, two months after that, he proposed to me on top of the Empire State Building in New York. It was a big surprise, too. He goes big. Every time he goes, he goes big. Um, and then three months later, we were married. So from in six months, we were married. Lou Rawls sang at our wedding. We bust in all the homeless. We bust in the families that we feed. And then we had the church, and then all of Phoenix first came out. And so it was a big, grand, beautiful wedding, um, so much more than I ever dreamed I'd have. And so God is so good. So we've been married now 11 years. Um, I've been in full-time ministry 14 years. We have two beautiful children. I have a seven-year-old girl who keeps me humble. 
Um, do we have daughters like that? Anyone else? No? Well, my daughter's got the cutest little figure, but especially her butt. And I'm always telling her, oh, you've got the cutest little butt, and I'm always pinching her butt, right? And so we're in the car, and she's sitting in the back seat, and she goes, Mom, do you think my butt's cute? I'm like, yes, it's so cute. It's so adorable. And then she goes, Mom, do you want a butt like mine? <laughs> I said, uh, well, yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, I would love to have a butt like yours. Um, and she goes, well, you've got to be a little girl to have a butt like mine. I'm like, you're right, sweetie. And she goes, but don't worry. One day I'll have an ugly butt like yours. <laughs> yes, my daughter's lovely. Um, so, but she's a nice skater, soccer player. She's just like her dad. She's got his energy. And then we've got a beautiful little boy who's uh, four years old who's my sweetheart. Oh, my goodness. I could just eat him up. So um, that's my life in a nutshell. So I, what I want to share with you tonight, the title of my message is um, What Jesus is Asking from Us on His Birthday. But let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this night. I thank you, Lord, for what you have planned to, uh, to do in this evening. I thank you, God, for every heart here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you prepare all of us. Do what you have intended to do, God. Our hearts are open to you. We are willing to be changed and challenged by you, Father. We are yours, God. And so I thank you. We give you honor and glory for tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I always hated speaking. I always avoided the microphone at all costs. And... um, I always assumed, I always loved that proverb that said, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> so that is my verse. I'm clinging on to that. Um, so I've always hated speaking. Up until this last year, God really kind of called me into a place. But it's because there was this passion I had in my heart that I couldn't keep quiet anymore. And sometimes your passion overrides your fear. And so God's put me on a journey the last couple of years, changing my thoughts an understanding of what it is that we are doing at the Dream Center and for all social injustices. Um, but it started a couple years ago. Amanda and I went to uh, Australia to uh, the Color Conference. And while we were there, they showed the movie Invisible Children. Have any of you guys seen that movie? That movie rocked my world. I was such a wreck. I cried hysterically the entire time. And it was one of those times when I felt like the devil was winning. And I was praying. I said, God, Why? Why? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this happen? And I felt so defeated. And God spoke to me that day. He said, Caroline, I sent my son Jesus to pay for the price of the sin of what you just saw so that there would be hope for redemption for what you just saw. I sent my son Jesus for the healing that would need to take place for what you just saw. In my word, I've guaranteed and promised to provide everything you need to change this. I've promised protection provision, favor, miracles. I've given, promised, and done everything I needed to. Why are you letting it happen? Now, I've been serving in the ministry doing this kind of work for years, but I've never seen it that way. It really, truly is our fault why children are starving, why um, all the injustices that we see in this world. It's really our fault. And so this took me a long time to process. I just started working on this in my heart, and I was reading the Bible, just looking for more answers. And I was talking to my hairdresser, who was a Christian. And, you know, I was just talking about all the amazing miracles God did throughout the Old Testament. Parting the Red Sea. Um, Gideon fighting off 120,000 men with just 300. Um, uh, Joshua's big battle in Jericho. And 
of Jesus walking on the water, um, Jesus feeding his people for 40 years in the desert. And I was talking to my hairdresser about this, and I was like, you know, why do we doubt? Why do we read these stories and doubt that God can do something great like this in our lives? She goes, well, maybe not literally. I thought, not literally. And that night God said, why are my children reading the stories in the Bible like they're fairy tales? When they're meant to be used as examples of what I can do in their life today. Because we know there is no limit to what God will do to save his children. And so, again, I'm just just processing all of this. And I was overwhelmed because it feels like it's a very overwhelming, big problem, bigger than anything that we could ever conquer or make a difference in, right? You hear the numbers. It's kind of scary. But God gave me the hope because he always gives us hope, right? If we look in Exodus 35, starting verse 4. So this is when um, God's just given Moses the instructions of how he should build the sanctuary, the tabernacle. And so if you look at chapter 35, starting verse 4, Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And the following gifts are everything from very expensive items to very common items. Verse 10, come all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. So now he lists things that require a lot of skill and then things that anybody can help with. So verse 20, so the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Verse 22, both men and women came all whose hearts were willing. 23, all those who owned the following items willingly brought them. 26, all the women who were willing used their their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. 29, so the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. Now look what happens when just those of us who are willing give what we're willing to give, do what we're willing to do. Chapter 36, verse 3. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Just those who were willing, their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. All God needs from us is our willingness. And why does he only need our willingness? Two reasons. A, so that we represent him right. He's not asking for martyrs. <laughs> if we can't go out in love with generous, willing hearts to serve him, we don't represent him in the right way. But number two, it really wouldn't even take that much. Um, because we know when Jesus died on the cross, he tore the veil of that tabernacle and he said, I need you to use your t- gifts, talents, resources, and abilities to build my sanctuary, my church. But my church is no longer four walls of a building, it's my people. And so, again, he's only asking for our willingness. Do you realize... If you were to take every social injustice in this world and compare it to the number of Christians, it would shock you how easy it would be for us to fix everything. 
Do you know today, over 41,000 children died of starvation? Today. Yesterday, over 41,000 children died of starvation. Tomorrow, over 41,000 children will die of starvation. So wait, I didn't see that in the news. You know why you didn't see that? That's the daily average. 15 million children will die of starvation. That's not go hungry. That's die of starvation every single year. But here's the good news. There are 3.7 million churches, Jesus-believing churches in the world. You know what that means? Each church as a whole would only have to feed four children and not one would die. I believe there's enough willingness in this room to feed four children. It wouldn't even take that much. So what, it, so what is God asking from us? He's asking us to find our passion. When I was 18 years old, um, that day I happened to be working in the reception office of the Dream Center. And um, a social worker called and said there was a family in need of food a couple blocks away. And so I loaded up my old car. Let me tell you about my old car first. This is a random little rabbit trail. But uh, this is the reason why my husband married me. My first car was a Volvo station wagon, 78, diesel. <laughs> so that meant there was a huge cloud of smoke following me everywhere I went. Um, so it was a couple, I was a couple weeks into the Dream Center. I'd been working there. And um, we went out on adoptive block. Well, I'm coming back from adoptive block, and there's a steep hill that nobody liked walking back up to the Dream Center um, after the, being out on adoptive block. And so I'm driving up, and Matthew is on the corner. And he says, hey, will you give me a ride up? And I am dying a million deaths. I'm like, no, I don't want him in my car. <laughs> so anyways, I'm like, sure, okay. So he jumps in. I had other people. It wasn't just him and I. But um, so he jumps in the car, and we start going up this, this hill. And I am telling you, you could have crawled faster than my car got us up this hill. And um, I'm pretty sure that day he looked over me and said, yeah, I'll marry her. She'll be easy to please. <laughs> anyway, so this is my car. I load it up with food. I pack it out with food. And I drive over to this house or this apartment. And I walk in, and it's a mom. She's 25 with eight children. Most of the kids um, are just either in their diaper or underwear. They had no furniture, just a couple of couch cushions on the floor. And they had absolutely no food in their cabinets. And as soon as we walked in, the kids jumped in our arms and started eating raw zucchini. I thought, now how hungry are children that they're going to jump in your arms and start eating raw zucchini? And when I saw what the life of a hungry child looked like, I said, I can't see this and not do something about it. And so we went back to the dream center and we realized, you know, we've always had a food bank. But the people who really need the food don't even have a way to get to you. They don't, have, they don't have a babysitter to stay with the kids while they go out. They don't have vehicles to get to your church to get the food. And so that's why we started our mobile food bank. And I, I decided, I went back, and it's amazing. God's so amazing. When he wants something done, he makes it happen. And we got our first truck within a month. Um, we started driving out to elementary schools in at-risk neighborhoods, so it would be a central location. We always had several, a couple hundred moms waiting there with their kids to get the food. And so... Um, we got started, and I had no experience in, food, in working in a food bank. I had never done that growing up in the church I was in. I had no ex- if you would have told me I was going to start a feeding program, I would have, like, that was not interesting to me. But it was not until I saw what the life looked like for this child. I said, I've got to do something about it. And I remember we'd been going out about two months, and the lines were so long, and I was looking out, and I said, God, how can I promise this many people food every single week? Our food bank wasn't that big at the time. And he said, you know what, that's not your problem. You show up and I'll provide. 
And so for 14 years now, those food trucks are going out five days a week. We have three trucks, um, over 26 sites, reaching about 50,000 people a month through that feeding program. Um, we have about five or six other feeding pro programs at the Dream Center. But um, for 14 years, God has provided. You know, he'll make you look like a rock star when he's asking you to do something because he wants it done more than you do. Um, so, again, though, I had no idea how passionate I was about feeding children until I was in their home. And God has given you an injustice. There's something that he's asking you to fight. But you might not even know what it is. You might not know. You're going to have to go out there and try different things. Find out what is that trigger that you say, oh, my gosh, I can't hear this or see this and not do something about it. Because God needs all of us to fight. And again, it wouldn't even take that much. Another example of that, um, I was out to lunch a couple years ago with a friend of mine, and she started telling me these statistics about kids in foster care. And she came across this one, and it just shocked me. Because, you know, I think we all as women, our hearts break for orphans, right? And I thought, you know, unless you're at a place where you're going to adopt, there's not much you can do. But she came across this one statistic that more than 50%, some even say up to 70%, of all the kids in foster care here in America have parents who love them but lost them due to the lack of basic necessities. More than 50%. That means we have 500,000 children in foster care here in America. So tonight, over 250,000 children will be crying for their mom or dad. Tonight, over 250,000 parents will be crying for their babies. And the only thing keeping them apart is basic necessities, something a church could step in and fix. And do you know what it would take for the Jesus-believing churches in America to, to fix this? Each church wouldn't even have to help one family. Not even one. And I believe here in this church tonight, there's enough willingness to help one family stay together due to the poverty. I'm not talking about neglect. I'm not talking about drug abuse. Basic necessity. And so when we came across this statistic, I said that was another trigger for me. I can't hear this and not do something about it. And so I rallied all our women in our women's ministry. I said, we've got to do something about it. So we called social workers. We let them know, hey, um, these are the resources we have available. We can help with food. We can help with furniture. We can help with clothing. Um, we can help with counseling. We can help with parenting classes. If you come across a family at risk of losing their children because of what we have to offer, call us. We get calls every single day. And last year, our women's ministry was able to save 200 families from being split apart. And we reunified 50 families that had been split apart. And this year already, we've more than passed that number. But again, God only needs our willingness. Um, well, you know, when you solve one problem, it kind of opens your eyes to another one. And we realized, you know, there are going to be some situations where a mom needs a place to live with her children without the um, stress of paying bills to actually get a real job, a real skill to actually survive in life, right? And so we started our homeless family floor about two years ago. And um, there's this one family that just stands out in my mind. She's changed my life. She is a woman in her 40s with four children. And we test all the moms when they come in to see their great... Uh, their education level, and then also their skill, what are they naturally gifted and talented in, because we want to get them on the course towards that, right? Um, so we tested this mom. She had a first-grade education in her 40s. First grade, she couldn't read. And now she can't even pursue her GED 
until she has a fifth grade education. So, um, but you hear her story, and it's no wonder. Up until she was eight years old, she was molested by her father. At that point, she was put in foster care. Um, from the time she was eight until she was 18, she was in over 40 different homes. At that point, emancipated, expected to fend her for herself. No education and um, no job skill. So it's pretty remarkable that she's in her 40s and has all four children. She's a survivor. And so we started sending her to tutoring classes to learn how to read. But she'd come back embarrassed because she was the oldest woman in the class and she even had a hard time keeping up in that class. And I think, you know what? The God miracle in her life. So many times we're looking for God to use us in the supernatural. Well, the supernatural God miracle in her life would just be for someone to love her enough to patiently, in an unjudgmental way, teach her how to read. That's her God miracle. That changes her entire life. That changes her children's life and generations to come. Can you imagine never being loved enough ever in your entire life to be taught how to read? Something we take for granted. And I think if you knew your basic abilities can be such a miracle in someone else's life, would you use it? Because think of these moms who, single moms struggling, doing everything they can. And I think about this mom knowing that they're going to have their inspection the next day. And they know, you know, because social workers will give them a list in a certain time period. Now, you've got to get these things in order by this certain time or else we, we, t- we remove the children. And can you imagine if you're a mom, what your prayers would be like if you know you've done everything you could to check off everything on that list, but you know even at your best you weren't able to do that. And you know your inspections the next day. The fear that would be going in your heart. What would you think if a church came in, stepped in, and helped you save your children? And what would you think of their God? What would that mean to you? And so your basic abilities, sorry, I'm such a crier. Um, Your basic abilities, if you knew your ability to cook could be the skill that saves a mother from losing her children, would you use it? If you knew your ability to balance a checkbook would teach a woman how to stay out of... um, trouble financially, would you use it? If you knew your extra time to help clean a single mom's house would be the grace needed to keep her from a meltdown, would you use it? Your basic abilities can be a miracle in someone else's life. So why should you find your passion? Because it's the only way to live. It will give you a pep in your step, a reason to get up a little earlier in the morning and be happy about it. It will make you truly happy. And, um, Even though this is only meant to be one area of your life, because like I said, it doesn't take all that much. All God needs is our willingness, what we can freely give in time and resources. And even though this is just one area of your life, it'll make you so much better in every other area of your life. When you're fighting that passion, that injustice that God's called you to fight, you'll be a better wife, a better mother, a better leader, a better worker. Um... And I truly believe at any point in history, if all the Christians would have been obedient and they're part of fixing an injustice, our world wouldn't look like it does today. Um, sorry. A couple, two year, about a year ago, I guess, um, we came across this statistic again, another trigger. We can't hear this and not do something about it. Um, there's a lot of awareness campaigns about human trafficking. And because there are so many awareness campaigns, We thought, okay, that need must be taken care of. Well, we looked into it, and there's only 29 beds in all of America to help 
bring a woman out of this um, lifestyle, to bring a woman who's been hurt and damaged by this, um, to get her back on her feet, give her a place to get counseling, um, job training, healing. Only 29 beds in all of America. And there's so many awareness campaigns about it. And so we thought, you know, we can't hear this and not do something about it. So right away, we called um, some of our donors, and they were willing to step up. And so we started our first human trafficking floor. And I think of this one girl, who her, her testimony is, um, her father started having sex with her when she was five. At 10 years old, he sold her for $2,000 to a man. She said there was papers involved, like a contract or something. He sold her at 10. Well, she started, you know, working in this thing, and she thought this was normal. This was life. At 15, she was kind of running one of the homes, and she said she was in middle-class homes. Um, she was in all kinds of neighborhoods, and they, had, they were moving. They were constantly moving around. And at 15, she was helping to break other girls. That's where you tear them down to the lowest point so that you can build them up to make them do whatever you want them to do. So she was getting ready. At 15 years old, she was looking at another 11-year-old. And um, she was about to break her, just like she had been doing all these years. And she said she'd go and um, uh, recruit girls in churches, libraries, and schools. But she was looking at this girl, and for the first time in her life, she looked at her like she was a human being. And for the first time, she couldn't do it. So she said she didn't sugarcoat it. She told her exactly what was going to happen to her if she came with her. And for the first time, her eyes were open. She goes, I don't know what changed in me. I don't know why I felt differently. I thought this was normal. I thought you're 10 years old. You work. Well, she came into our program in her, I think, I would assume she's in her late 20s. Such a broken woman. There's such a, this is probably the hardest discipleship program we've ever tried to put together. We're still learning. We're still trying to figure this out because there's so much um, bondage over these women. She's quit us, uh, quit our program several times, gone back to her pimp. Um, one time she left, and a week later she called us, can you come get me, can you come get me? We picked her up on a corner, completely beaten up from head to toe. But can you imagine being so lost, so broken, being in this lifestyle and wanting to go back? Can you imagine how hurt and how... Um, and she said that her pimp used to read the word of God to her as him being God. So as she started going through the Bible, it said, you know, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It just um, tormented her because it reminded her of her pimp. And so I say that tonight because pretending not to know or choosing not to look into what's wrong in our world to fix it for the glory of God is not going to fly as an excuse when we stand before God one day. And I'm not talking about earning our salvation. You know, when I first came to um, the Dream Center, because I told you I'd been partying my junior and senior year of high school, um, every service for the first entire year, I was at the altar bawling my eyes out, saying, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. For a whole year I was crying, bawling, thinking I wasn't good enough to be used and all that kind of stuff. And after that year, God said, are you done yet? And I said, well, God, I'm so sorry. I knew better. I shouldn't have been out there. Are you done yet? I said, well, I want you to really know how sorry, sorry I am. He goes, well, you know, I forgave you the first time you asked. He goes, are you now trying to earn it? Are you trying to earn your forgiveness? We can't earn it. It's a free gift. And it does no good for the kingdom of God if we stay held back because of our mistakes, thinking we can't be used by God. That does nothing to glorify God or to build his kingdom. So again, tonight, I'm not talking about earning your salvation by doing a lot of good works. 
Again, we don't represent him right when that's our ambition or motivation. And I'm not talking about earning more of God's love. He loves you with a pure and complete love. There's nothing you've ever done that would make him love you less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He loves you with a pure and complete love. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. You know, the children of Israel prayed and hoped for their Messiah for hundreds of years. They hadn't even heard a word from God, from a prophet, for over 400 years before Jesus was born. Could you imagine what they would be saying to us today when they were praying and longing for their Messiah, for this freedom? You know, I think if they're in heaven looking down on us today, what are they thinking? I think they think, do you realize what you have? Do you realize the freedom that's been offered to you? Do you understand the power that's inside of you? And so tonight I'm talking about, let's understand. These stories in the Bible are not fairy tales. They're examples. Let's understand that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Let's understand that there's no reason why any child is crying tonight because he's sick or hungry. There's no reason another child needs to be abducted tonight when we have the power of God behind us and protection of God. So let's decide tonight that not on my watch, not when God has put me here for this time, am I going to let another mother lose her children due to the lack of basic necessities. Not on my watch will another child be abducted. Not on my watch um, will another child die of starvation. Not when God has promised, guaranteed, and given everything he could possibly need to give for us to make a difference. And so let's trust that if God is asking us to do something, that we will actually enjoy it. God knows. God knows the gifts and talents he put in you. He knows what's going to keep you excited about life. And he knows he gets the most productivity out of us when we enjoy what we're doing. And I always find it amazing, baffling, really, that something that could break your heart so deeply can bring you so much joy when you're a part of the solution. But let's face it, we're not going to do anything powerful in our life pretending to be free. And why pretend when God has made it available to all of us? Jesus came to this earth to give us that abundant life, a free life. And he's not looking to just to heal our heart just enough to get by in life. He's looking to heal us in a complete way as though the injustice that we've personally gone through has never happened. I know we've done things to hurt ourselves, and I know people have done things to hurt us. But God is able to heal you in a way as though it never happened. That's the kind of God we serve. That's, the, that's what Jesus came to give us. And so during this Christmas time, I think we should look forward and anticipate, just like the Israelites anticipated their Messiah coming, we have the Messiah. We have this in our hearts, and in our, um, we have this power available to us. Well, let's take it and run with it and anticipate his return. Let's show him what we've done with our gifts and our talents. And um, let, allow God to do everything he's promised in his word to do for us. And so we can be healed, we can be set free, and go make a difference for someone else. So all of you tonight who will say, Caroline, tonight I will join you and say, yes, Jesus, for your birthday, I will give you my willingness. I will give you what I can freely give. 
I will do for you what I can freely do. Because that's all he needs. That's all he's asking for. So if you will join me tonight in saying, yes, God, use my willingness. Please raise your hand. Isn't that amazing? Look around. There's so much willingness in this room. There is so much willingness. There is no reason. Right? Are you inspired tonight? Are you excited about the the difference we can make? Well, thank you guys. It was such an honor. I'm sorry. I'm such a crier. Sometimes I cry more than other times. But um, I love you guys. And I know there's so much we can do. And I hope that I've not broken your heart in a way that you feel overwhelmed or feel um, that's too much for you, but that you'd be inspired to know there's so much we can do. There really is. So thank you so much. You know, Coastline, I've been blessed to serve Caroline and her husband for the last 15 years before God planted me in this area. And you ask, is that a Christmas message? Absolutely, that's a Christmas message. Because here we have a responsibility. I remember a couple years ago at the Dream Center, we did a program for Christmas where people wrote down what their Christmas dream was. And I remember getting a card from an eight-year-old girl. And she said, my only dream for Christmas is for my mom to stop selling me to different men all night long. Eight years old. And I thought about some of the stupid things I asked for for Christmas. You know, the reason we had Caroline tonight is because this is a celebration and this is a party. We want to have a good time and the band's going to come back out in a second. We're going to have more prizes. But, you know, we have a responsibility as a church that when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, when we celebrate Christmas, we need to give through celebration. That's why sponsors of this church put this event on free of charge for you tonight because we didn't want you to have to pay a ticket to be here. We wanted to bless you but at the same time, we want you to be a blessing tonight. We want, we're going to receive a love offering for the Dream Center so that Caroline can continue the work that they're doing in Los Angeles. Now, we know there's need in our community. That's true. But they're face-to-face. You can drive up two hours any day of the week and go meet people physically and see what they're doing on a daily basis. And I encourage you, if you ever want to go see it, drive up and go see what they're doing on a daily basis. But what I want to do tonight is before we go any further, we're going to receive a love offering for the Dream Center so that they can continue to do what they do. They have over 700 people that now live with them, that they've rescued out of every lifestyle. You can imagine the sad reality is though they have space for over 1,200. The only reason they're limited right now is finances. We can give tonight, help them advance. They just finished building 100 beds for sex slavery when they work with the FBI and LAPD to rescue these girls out of that situation. So there's a couple ways you can give tonight. Number one, you can write a check. Uh, If you make it payable to Coastline Check, uh, excuse me, Coastline Church, we're going to total it up on Wednesday, and we're going to bring them a, a total check. You can give by cash. There are some teddy bears at the table uh, that are called the Rescue Project Bears. And this is the project that supports those women from sex slavery and human trafficking. For a love offering of $20, you can pick up a bear tonight, bring it home, and use it as a prayer reminder uh, for this entire thing and what they're doing. 
Or if you, if you want to give uh, electronically, you can give on your mobile phone uh, with credit card or debit card at coastlinechurch.org. If you go home tonight and go to our church's website, coastlinechurch.org, if you go onto our online giving section of our website, there is a link that says Dream Center Offering. Everything you give to the Dream Center Offering will go 100% to the Dream Center to bless them and continue their work and continue to advance what they're doing. And I think you heard tonight, it's a much worthy cause. It is something that that deserves our generosity at the fullest. And so I challenge you tonight, if if you're going to give on your computer later tonight, I pray that you would just write down the number right now so that you don't forget when you get home. Just write down the number on a piece of paper. Write down coastlinechurch.org. When you go home, give electronically. Write a check this evening, or you can give on cash. We have a couple ushers with a couple boxes I'm going to give you just a moment if you're writing a check or, or, or getting out cash uh, to get that prepared. Uh, or at the end of the service, you're welcome to pick up one of the teddy bears afterwards. I'm going to have the band come out. We're going to go into the rest of the evening. Uh, you know, as a church, you know, we have a responsibility to honor Jesus in absolutely every single thing we do. And even though this is a celebration, I'm glad that we took a moment to allow our hearts to be broken this Christmas for people that aren't going to celebrate Christmas like this. There's a lot of people that don't have an opportunity to come to a beautiful event like this. And we can give tonight financially to change their life and make their Christmas a little bit better for the way God blessed us this evening. How many agree receiving a love offering for the Dream Center tonight is the right thing to do? Yeah, So I pray that you would give generously tonight. I'm going to let the band come out on as the ushers will be walking around. Please be generous tonight. It is a worthy cause. Thank you.